0: Welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast, where we talk to Amanda Hahn and discuss whether the luck winner of the HGTV dream home can actually afford to live there. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Mindy Jensen, and with me, as always, is my HGTV Sweet Steaks entering co host, Scott Trench.
1: I did enter, Mindy, but today I think it's going to be a reality check.
0: <laughs> Scott and I are here to make financial independence less scary, less just for somebody else to introduce you to every money story because we truly believe financial freedom is attainable for everyone, no matter when or where you're starting.
1: That's right, whether you wanna retire early and travel the world, go on to make big time investments in assets like real estate, start your own business, or figure out how to deal with the tax ramifications of winning a large sweepstakes, we'll help you reach your financial goals and get money out of the way so you can launch yourself towards those dreams.
0: Scott, we have created a new segment called The Money Moment. This is the segment where we look at a money hack, tip or trick, to help you on your money journey. Today's Money Moment, did you know that a lot of private auto insurance policies and many major credit cards provide coverage for rental cars, particularly when rented for personal use instead of for business? Check the policies to make sure, but chances are good that you can save money on your car rental and skip the expensive insurance coverage the rental company offers. Some of the best travel rewards cards provide rental car insurance that may let you skip the rental company's collision damage waiver. If you have current car insurance that includes collision, comprehensive, and liability coverage, your auto insurance policy likely will cover you in the event your rental car is damaged in an accident. Of course, you should check with your insurance company to make sure before you waive that policy from the car companies.
1: And Mindy, in my case, both my auto insurance and my credit card cover have coverage here, so there's no reason for me to... Sign up for that insurance option when renting a car.
0: Yes, same with me, but make sure that you rent the car with that credit card. Otherwise, you are out the ability to use that coverage when you it, should you have an unfortunate accident. All right, Scott, today we're talking to Amanda Hahn about the tax implications of winning the HGTV Dream Home and. I think it is a pretty fascinating conversation. I learned a lot about sweepstakes and prize winnings, and I am excited to bring this episode to our listeners.
1: Yeah, I thought this was great. You know, and look, if you're skeptical at first of like, oh, HGTV ski sweeps. No, no. This is an incredibly informative discussion that has really advanced tax strategy and planning all around the context, of course, of the the good problem of having one a very large piece of real estate. How do we begin reducing the tax burden? And there are the applications of this discussion can be in any part of real estate investing or personal finance. So really fun, really fun, really good discussion. Um, what a privilege to learn from Amanda Hahn.
0: Before we bring in Amanda, let's take a quick break.
1: When it comes to financial guidance, you gotta trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When Mindy and I want to upgrade our wallets,
2: This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you wanna try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Deciding how to invest your capital can be extremely challenging, especially when the market is constantly changing. HGTV has been giving away a grand house every year since 1997. This year's home is located in our backyard, Morrison, Colorado. And it's a stunning home coming in at 4,360 square feet, three beds, three baths on 2.4 wooded acres, plus a new Jeep Cherokee and $100,000 in cash from Ally Bank. That sounds so awesome, right?
1: It does sound awesome, and it looks awesome. If you go to HGTV's website or the Food Network website and look at these things, there's like a four-minute video that goes through the house, and it is just spectacular. Crazy views, huge rooms, open area. The kitchen is incredible, all that kind of stuff. I'm uh, usually not a big fan. uh, I don't usually get sucked into these types of things, but I spent I watched the full video twice, and then I showed it to my wife. Um, so it's a pretty awesome house.
0: I was waiting for you to say I don't really get sucked into videos about houses. CEO of BiggerPockets, yeah, Scott. I
1: don't, I don't get sucked into videos about um, nice houses, uh, luxury homes that I would purchase. So unless they're Airbnb,
0: it is a luxury home. It's absolutely stunning. And Scott, did you enter the sweepstakes? I did. It was super easy. It took like a minute.
1: I did as I did as well, and by the way, this is not sponsored by HDTV. Uh, we just we just uh, find it a really funny topic, and uh, yes, I entered twice.
0: Oh, twice! I only entered once. Uh, I guess I have to go back and enter again. So you have the potential to win this super awesome prize. But today we're not talking about it. We like we just hyped it up, but that's the end of the hype up. Now our big question is. Can the average person actually afford to live in this HGTV dream home? And what are the tax implications for a winner of a multi million dollar prize package? Today, we're speaking with Amanda Hahn, tax genius. Amanda, welcome to the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. Oh, hi, Mindy. Hi, Scott.
3: Um, thank you so much for having me here. I'm super excited. I don't know if I can live up to the genius content, but um, I'm definitely excited to be here and kind of talk about the tax side of things um but you know it's it, it's a hard conversation to have especially after all this wonderful stuff you just said about the winnings and now I'm kind of like the bad um, tax person coming here with um bad news so yeah um definitely definitely let's talk about all that all that uh goodness
1: so so yeah. tell, give us let, let's just start, jump right into it what what is the bad news right what why why would winning that have any type of bad news whatsoever that I have to think about
3: well, so in the tax world, uh, there's a rule that's, you know, all income is taxable, uh, whether legal or illegal. And um, and that includes uh, awards and winnings and things like that. So what's going to happen, guys, is that uh, when this special person wins, maybe it's Mindy, maybe it's Scott, maybe it's me. I don't know. Can I enter if I'm not in Colorado? Um, uh, oh, I can. So I will definitely enter them tonight. Um, so what's going to happen with the special winners, the uh, IRS is going to uh, uh, come and be like, hey guys, you know, we won and we won our uh, big house. And um, by we means yeah, give me some of the earnings. So so award prices like any other income is subject to taxes. Um, it's going to be taxed at the same rate as whatever your ordinary income is going to be for the year. So, um, you know, I think we said earlier, it's about a $2 million, $2.7 million award. Um, that naturally puts somebody at the highest tax rate, uh, which currently is 37% for federal taxes.
0: So what I'm hearing you say, the total price package is $2.7 million, and Uncle Sam is going to come knock it on my door and say, I want 37% of that, approximately, yeah. And also the state too,
3: right? And the state. The state state also wants uh their share of the taxes too. So yeah, thirty seven percent for federal, um, four percent for the state of Colorado. So that's a big chunk, right? About a, a million dollars, a little over a million dollars of that is gonna go towards taxes, um, without any proper planning. That's you know, that the government's share.
1: So if I in other words, if I if I win this house and the hundred grand and the jeep. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to pay a $1. 1.1 $1 million dollar tax bill just to keep the house in that year.
3: Yeah. So it, this is really interesting. I actually had to do some research on this because, believe it or not, I don't have clients who've actually won these kind of big prizes. So it's not like something we deal with all the time. So, um, so Matt, my husband and I, uh, researched into it. Um, so when you win awards like this, um, they actually require that you pay the tax before you take possession of the property. So if you're choosing the, um, the real estate or the cheap or whatever, you can't just take the money, I mean, you can't just take title and then later on pay the tax. Um, they actually want the taxes paid upfront um so yes, for the average, you know, American who wins it, um, hopefully you have, you know, some cash stocked up or you have wealthy relatives.
1: One point <laughs> one million
3: dollars. Yeah, some wealthy relatives would gonna help with uh, with getting that money aside, you know, setting it aside for you.
1: So can I can I, th- can I is there another way I could do this? Like I don't have one point one million dollars in cash right now and would not want to sell parts of my portfolio. Could I take a mortgage against the property, for example, to pay the taxes?
3: Yeah, this is an interesting question. This this is one that um, you know, Matt and I were talking about the other day. We're like, well, what if, you know, clearly we have a house that's free and clear, right? Let's say two million dollars of a house. Um, can we go to the bank and get financing? Will some well, bank lend me a hundred thousand dollars with this house as a collateral. Um, or not even, you know, maybe not a bank, maybe just another investor, right? Like a private lender or something. Um, So I think the question would be yes. right? you could probably get a a loan for something like that. But here's kind of the small hiccup, though. Um, I think according to the rules, you can't take possession of the home until you actually pay at least the withholding part of the tax. And so that's maybe a little bit tricky, right? Would Would a bank lend on something with this home as a collateral when you're actually not on title yet? You know, you will be after they give you the money and you you know, get the taxes withholding all squared away. So in a
1: practical sense, I would have to take a hard money loan for $1.1 million against the asset and then refinance into a 30-year mortgage if I re- if I actually wanted to keep the home And, I, and w- after winning the sweepstakes. Is that right?
3: Yeah. Yeah. That, that's one way to do it, right? Hard money or something that's maybe not secured by the property itself because at that moment, um, you don't actually own the home yet.
0: Why <laughs> the dream killer here? No, I think this is a really good dose of reality because somebody might think, oh, I just won the $2.7 million prize package. Wait, I have to pay taxes? Yeah, yeah, I'll get to that later. Wait, I have to pay them up front? Well, then I can't afford that. I mean, it's all fine and good to talk about the idea of going to get a mortgage to pay off this $1.1 million tax burden. But who's going to give you a mortgage when you make uh, $60,000 a year? Who's gonna give you a one point one million dollar mortgage when you make sixty thousand dollars a year? I'm guessing, um, nobody. Yeah, and I think that was part of the question is
3: like, you know, does it is it feasible for someone like the average American to actually, um, you know, keep the property? Right. I mean, we're talking about, um, the the taxes associated with it. So even though the house itself is green clear, so we might have a million dollar tax bill. So you need to be someone with enough equity or income or A creative financing to get a a longer term loan right for this million dollar um, tax debt to be able to pay it off with your income or other sources during the year and um, what's really interesting uh, this whole exercise and thank you guys for inviting me here so as far as this exercise yeah yeah, we kind of did some research because it's it's not something we do all the time Um, but I actually grew up in Las Vegas and when I was really young, I remember when um, we go to the casinos, there are all these like nice cars, you know, like convertibles or just these really nice cars. I remember my dad telling me like, you know, the people who actually um, uh, uh, win these cars, they don't typically drive off with them because they have to pay taxes on it. And unless they have the money to pay the tax, they'll just take the cash option. Um, so this is really interesting for me. You know, back then, I didn't really know what he was talking about taxes. But now with this exercise we're going through, it kind of brings everything together, right? Whether it's winning a, a car or a house, we have to figure out a way to pay for the tax before we can actually accept the award that we won.
1: So what what is the cash prize option if I decide not to go with the house?
3: Um, so the the cash, my understanding of the cash price option is that you get seven hundred and fifty thousand of cash. That's what it's, you know, the value of the home is. and then plus or their deemed value in cash terms. Um, you still get the hundred thousand dollars from Allied Bank and then you get seventy five thousand is the value of the cheap. So if you took all of that, you get nine hundred and and what nine to twenty five thousand. In terms of like the cash amount, so um, if you take the cash amount, uh, it doesn't mean you don't have to pay taxes. So you still have to pay taxes. They still will withhold the taxes, but it's a lot more feasible because HGTB can withhold the taxes on that and then just give you the ca- you know the cash for the difference. Now um, I was saying earlier the you know for someone who had a two million dollars of income, the tax rate is about thirty seven percent. The good thing is for withholding purposes, withholding meaning what they want right now upfront, it's not at thirty seven percent. They only want to withhold twenty four percent. So that's what you require to pay in at the moment you get the prize. So nine hundred and twenty five thousand if you go with the cash prize route, um they'll probably withhold about two hundred and twenty thousand and then you'll get a check for the rest, right? So maybe like about seven hundred thousand dollars is what you'll get. Um, just looking at federal, right? We're not talking about state or any of that. So why why is there such a spread between
1: the value the two point seven million dollars value of the house, the um, uh the the jeep, and then the hundred thousand dollars from Ally Bank, and the the cash prize option? Why do you think that is? Is that customary in in a lot of these, you know, jackpot scenarios?
3: You know, I don't know if it's customary because you know I don't. I mean, it's not something we come across a lot. But that was also my question too. It's a huge difference, right? You're talking about. $2.7 million versus 900000 Um, But I don't know if it's just part of the game they're playing, right? How many, what's the likelihood that the winner of this house can come up with the cash to pay the tax? Um, and some of the risks associated with now owning this home, how will you maintain it or were you going to sell it? Um, versus maybe the average American, right, who we think the winner is going to be. I'm more inclined to say, just give me my cash and, you know, I'll do what I will with it. Because um, that's kind of my only option. My right? absent, a rich uncle who has money waiting for me.
1: So, what would what would you do if you won the prize?
3: Oh man, I I would try really hard uh, <laughs> to keep the house. <laughs> I might start raising money from investor friends. Uh, as You know, whoever I know that has some money laying around. I love your idea, Scott, about hard money. I mean, obviously. The downside of hard money is the points and the interest that we have to pay. But if I can float that for, you know, what to three months, um, you know, it's a big difference of getting $2.7 million worth of something versus $900,000 of cash, right? Comparing both of those um, before taxes. Um, and then, yeah, then I have this huge property that I probably, for me, I probably won't live in. Uh, but, you know, it's probably too much for what I would need. But, I, you know, that could be like a rental for me. I can get some good Cash flow, short-term rental, or get some depreciation out of it, or I might sell it, you know, and then take the two point seven of cash. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. I would aggressively try to find a way to pay for the taxes.
1: You wouldn't rehab it?
3: i I. I that's probably way above my abilities to rehab something so perfect. <laughs> do the burn <birth> strategy.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's no need to rehab this this house. This this is the yeah. Uh, the, uh... Okay, yeah, I, I think I think that I'm kind of aligned with that. Like, I would want it if the difference, if the spread is really like a 1.7 million dollars in difference between the value of the the house and the cash price, I'd do everything I possibly could to take possession of the house in some way, and then I'd, I'd have a I I'd recognize I have a, a a massive tax bill I'd have to pay at that point in time, but then the gain if I turn around and sell it, there is no tax burden, right? Because I've already I've already paid the taxes on the the value of the, the property, right unless there's a unless I buy it for I assume it at a 2.7 million valuation and sell it for 2.8, um, only that hundred thousand would be taxed, right? Yeah,
3: exactly exactly. So that's the benefit of that is that you know a lot of I mean if you sold immediately for cash, your tax bill, if there's any on that is going to be very little, right assuming there's not a, a whole lot of appreciation that happens in the interim. But you know, I think part of to what we, we can look at is the tight need of it all, right? Because really we have an immediate, so whoever wins this is gonna have like an immediate tax problem, which is, okay, they must withhold or I have to write them a check for 24% of my $2.7 million winnings. Um, but thereafter, right? I got my rich uncle, I got hard money loans, I paid that off. Now I have the rest of this year to figure out how I'm actually going to reduce my tax bill on that $2.7 million. So if I'm a real estate investor, we look at all the traditional strategies, like I'm going to have more rental properties, um, or even for this property, if I turn into a rental, I'm going to accelerate depreciation. I'm gonna, I think this one comes with all the furnishing and all that stuff, right? So all these things I'm gonna accelerate write-off, depreciation, bonus depreciation, so that I'm creating losses to hopefully then be able to offset at least part of this 2.7 million of income.
0: Okay, you mentioned a while back planning. Is there any way to plan this out so that you can reduce your tax burden? Or is this just you're stuck with the tax burden?
3: No, I mean, so yeah, so that's what I was saying. Like if so let's say I win this house in in March, um, I have a way to kind of pay for the taxes, right? Withhold the tax because they the government requires me to do it. Between March and December, that's when my planning happens. So I can think about is this going to be am I going to turn into a short term rental? I'm going to accelerate all the depreciation and bonus and write-offs from this property. And if I'm able to create a $700,000 loss or a million-dollar loss, and to the extent I can use it to offset this income, now I don't have $2.7 million of income. I only have $1.7 million that I have to pay taxes on. Oh. But if I've
1: already paid the taxes, I would get it back in a refund, right?
3: Right. And as I was saying, it's a it's a timing problem right, for us because we have to withhold or pay it in first. Then we strategize on how am I gonna get this money back, basically, right by next April.
0: Okay. But that doesn't have you living in the house. That has you using it as a an income property, as a rental property. You also use you threw out two numbers, 37% and 24% for what you owe and what you what HGTV is required to withhold for you. That's thirteen percent difference on two point seven per two point seven million. That's um a lot of money. So if HGTV is required to withhold only twenty four percent, but I'm going to owe the thirty seven percent. Do I have to pay quarterly estimated taxes on that chunk? Um, typically, you don't. So quarterly estimated taxes, you can
3: go under what we call safe harbor rule. That's one of, the methods of paying quarterly, meaning you're going to pay this year based on prior year's taxable income. So again, assuming this is just like, you know, the average American maybe made $60,000, $70,000 last year, they didn't know any taxes, then they should be fine. It doesn't mean you don't have to pay, you still have to pay it. So in your example, Mindy, if you decide to move into the property, there's no depreciation, Right, we're not writing off the furniture, it's all just your personal home. Um, so yeah, thing you better think of you know another rich uncle or someone to help you pay for the tax. The rest of the taxes come next April.
1: So Mindy, what, what would you do? We did we never we never got to hear your 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 um, preference here.
0: Well, until Amanda came on and said I had to pay my taxes before I could take possession of the property, I would have said I'll take possession of the property and I will then immediately sell it because I am a real estate agent in Colorado. And I would save my listing fees and I would list it and make tons and tons of money. Uh, Now that Amanda threw cold water on my plans to get rich, uh, what would I do? Honestly, I would probably take the cash because I don't want to liquidate enough of my current holdings to pay the taxes up front. I mean, that's a large amount of tax. And I wonder if people... Except those, of course, who listen to this show. I wonder if people realize that's what they have to do before they can take possession of the house. I mean, you make all these grand plans, and then HGTV's like, "That'll be one point one million dollars, please." And you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait, what are you talking about? Now I have to change all my plans again." Well, HGTV isn't saying that's Uncle Sam, right? Well, well, but Uncle Sam is making HGTV withhold it, so they are, they're not just going to hand you the keys. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Mindy, you you are an agent in um in this area. Where what do you, do you think it's the house is worth? I guess two and a half million, after um, you know after fact two point seven million is a prize package, but I'm factoring out seventy thousand for the jeep and hundred grand in cash from the alley bank. Do you think it's worth two point five three million?
0: You know, I would have to actually see it. HGTV should call me and let me get you know have the keys and walk through it and and really go through and see if it is worth that i would imagine that they aren't putting a 2.7 million dollar price tag on this price package and then it's only worth a million i would imagine that it's worth pretty close to what they have uh what they have priced it at um 100,000 from la bank is really nice and i don't know what a jeep cherokee goes for but yeah this house i mean it's a beautiful house morrison colorado is just outside of red rocks uh the venue like it's a gorgeous place to be it's a gorgeous part of the world
1: fair enough so we have some question marks there Um, how much do you guys think we would need to someone would need to make in order to qualify for a 1.1 million dollar mortgage just to keep the property if they were able to float the debt and then refinance out float the tax bill sorry i
3: mean it's so it's more than so though yeah so maybe a million dollar in mortgage right because that's what they're using just to pay the the taxes on it um, but also the property tax for, you know, the property tax, um, utilities, upkeep. I think like the property tax was actually pretty inexpensive in Colorado. Um, it came out to be like twenty thirty thousand. 30000 Does that sound about right to you guys on a $2.5 million home? Yeah, that sounds about right. So, yes, yeah, so I think the question is what, you know, how much
0: income do you need to afford a one, you know, maybe like $1 million mortgage? So... A million dollar mortgage at six percent for thirty years, just principal and interest, is five thousand nine hundred and ninety six dollars a month. That doesn't include your taxes, which you just said was like twenty thousand. Uh, so let's call that two thousand a month. So now you're at seven. That was six thousand dollars. Now you're eight thousand dollars. Insurance. I have no idea what it costs to insure a two million dollar house, but we're looking at you know nine. Eighty five hundred nine thousand dollars a month just for your housing costs.
1: Yeah, I think I think you probably I, I'm doing back of the napkin mess. So I could be way off here. Perhaps someone could correct us in the comments. But I, I think it's looking at a three hundred and twenty five thousand dollar annual household income
3: to qualify for that mortgage. Oh, so close. I got three twenty four. <laughs> Our napkins worked out pretty well. <laughs> but someone couldn't correct us in the comments. We might be wrong. <laughs>
1: And it would depend on the interest rate you're using and all that stuff. I use, I think I used, uh, uh what did I use? Like a six percent, six point three percent rate. Yeah,
3: definitely not the average, uh, not the average household income uh, winner, right? That we're that we're thinking of, like the sixty thousand. It's way more than a sixty thousand income person to be able to afford to keep this property.
0: Right. So let's look at this. I make, let's say, I make a hundred thousand dollars a year, and I, which is clearly short of this 325. And so I want to take possession of the house and then try to sell it. At this price point, it's gonna take longer to sell because you have less people who can qualify for this mortgage. You need to make $325,000 a year to be able to qualify for this mortgage. I mean, a lot of people at this price point are just paying cash for it because they're super rich, but that's narrowing your field of buyer's by a lot. So the house is going to sit on the market longer, meaning you have to pay, uh, if you have a mortgage on it for the taxes, you have to pay that every month until you can sell the property. You have to pay your real estate agent. You have to pay the buyer's real estate agent. You have to pay um, all sorts of closing costs. There's a lot of things involved. It's really making that 950 look a lot more attractive because they're taking 200000 off the top. And now you have 700000 free dollars that you can now just go and spend or invest. We would probably invest if you're listening to this show, as opposed to trying to jump through all these mental hoops and and actual hoops of trying to sell a house that you can't afford to live in.
1: Amanda, going back a minute here, how much... So, so the strategy that's coming together in my mind here is what Amanda said, take possession of the house refinance into a 30-year mortgage. If if you can find partners or have the means, you, buy, that, you buy, buy the property or you take possession of the property, pay your taxes, refinance into some sort of sustainable debt like a 30-year mortgage if you can, um, and then put it as an Airbnb and depreciate and accelerate that depreciation on all those different components. And Amanda, you, you threw out a pretty high number that you thought you might be able to get to on that depreciation. Do you have a ballpark guess of what you know, kind of the range you, you would, you would think a, an investor might be able to depreciate on this property in the first year?
3: Um, I mean, it's really a difficult, right? Because every property is so different. We don't really know what the land value versus the building. But if we just said, let's say this property is, you know, 80% building, and we said, if we can accelerate just the building part of it itself, we can take 30% off of it, that might be about $600,000. Um, of accelerate depreciation in the first year. and then from that you add in, I don't know any other furnishing or you know, whatever the other values of, right this the, the, I think the terms said this came fully furnished with you know all the artwork or whatever that is. So um, any of those you can add on top of depreciation. But yeah, I think even without that, you know, maybe you're looking at about six hundred thousand um, dollars that you can offset against part of this taxable income. Um, it's not going away, right? We still, I mean, we started with 2.7, so we've reduced it by about 600000 But you can also reduce it by all these other operating expenses that we're talking about, right? Insurance, property taxes, all the other holding costs too.
1: And would that all hit, Then, I mean, if I took possession in April, would that all hit in 2023 for depreciation or would it be rolling 12 months? Like part of it would hit in 2023, part of it would hit in 2024.
3: Yeah, so it's both. Um, with cost segregation, what you're doing is you're accelerating part of that building into 5, 7, 15-year assets. On those, we can take bonus depreciation. So even if you took possession later in the year, it's still, for this year, 80% bonus. So that part doesn't matter as much. Um, it's still very big right off up front. But the building, whatever is remaining that we didn't or weren't able to accelerate, um, the building itself is a month-by-month calculation. So yes, the earlier in the year you take possession... The higher the potential depreciation on the building component.
1: Okay, so so I so what strategy is forming together in my mind is even if I didn't bring in a dollar of Airbnb income and my mortgage is six grand a month, if I can get six hundred grand in depreciation, I'm pulling down the the tax bill by two hundred and fifty grand at the end of the year and getting a refund check. So it seems like it makes a lot of sense to hold on to it for at least one year to get that depreciation um, and to offset some of that some of that that uh, that first year tax hit. And then maybe sell it as soon as that depreciation benefit is, is largely out of the way. Um, even though there will be a gain to recapture at that point, you're at least spreading that out from your huge income year into another year. Yeah. Is that is that right?
3: Yeah. No, that's, yeah, that's exactly right. So you are taking a deduction this year when you're at the highest rate. And then next year when you sell, you might have some recapture, but theoretically you don't have high as high of a tax rate for next year. Um I mean, if you're doing short-term rental or even long-term rental, we always recommend you have uh, actual rental income. Zenda, um, so you said I have zero rental income. So it's more than just saying it's going to be a short-term rental, right? Especially when you're talking about such a large dollar amount, you want it to actually operate as a short-term rental. So, you know, preferably that means people, you know, t- guests and tenants coming in and out during the year. So you're operating it as a property. Um, but also too, like maybe next year you sell it and you do a 1031 exchange, because this one property doesn't cash flow well, but you can ten thirty one into a, I don't know, self storage or um, an apartment building that cash flows better, right? And Then you don't have to worry about the recapture of the taxes in that scenario.
1: Well, look, let me ask you uh, another question. Do I need to be? Do I need to have real estate professional status to use depreciation on a short term rental to offset the winnings of my? of my house from HGTV?
3: A great question. And uh, the answer to that depends on whether we are really talking about a short-term rental or a long-term rental. So um, if indeed, Scott, your master plan is to the short-term rental route, then the answer is no. You don't have to be a real estate professional. You can use short-term rental losses to offset award winnings. Um, as long as you meet material participation hours. So, there's a lot of different ways to qualify, uh, but the most common ones we see is you spending at least 500 hours on the short term rental property. Um, so, if you meet that, it doesn't matter how many hours you might be working at Bigger Pockets or wherever, you don't have to be a real estate professional. Now, if you are turning this into a long term rental, then yes, you or a spouse will have to be a real estate professional. Otherwise, it does not offset the award-winnings because they're in different buckets.
1: Wouldn't I have a hard time convincing the IRS that this house needed 500 hours of work?
3: Um, I mean, so what if if you're thinking work as a like rehab work, then sure, right? Because it's already turnkey and beautiful. Um, But for short-term rental operators, I think you talk to any short-term rental, I mean, there's a lot of work to be done in terms of dealing with guests and bookings and all that kind of stuff, right? So if you meet 500 hours in the operational or the management side, that could work. 500 is one of the ways to meet material participation. There's other ways. There's seven. There's actually seven other ways. 500 is the most common one. Um, another one that you can do is you spend at least a 100 hours and nobody else spends more time than you. So Scott spends 110 hours. The cleaning crew only spends 80. Nobody else spent more than 110. Then you are also able to meet the material participation.
1: So this is one of those rare situations where cleaning the toilet could be a five hundred dollar an hour activity or much more.
3: <laughs> yes, if you're talking about the tax savings,
0: <laughs> I would for sure be cleaning the toilets with a toothbrush. So it took a real long time.
1: So, so this is the real answer to the question. If if you win the HGTV home and you, what I would do now that I know, know all this is, I would float the tax bill with a hard money loan or some kind of bridge financing from friends, family, whoever I could get in it to invest in that project to pay them a couple of points in interest, quickly refinance out of that into a more sustainable long-term debt, immediately put the property into um, a short-term rental status, do all of the work myself until I get up to 100 hours or 500 hours, um, or met one of the other qualification standards that are actually pretty hard or Kind of have have some lots of room for interpretation, as I understand it. That Amanda w- w- was mentioned briefly there. Um, hire a CPA, perhaps Amanda, to do the uh, cost segregation and accelerate tons of depreciation. And then after a year or so, when those benefits run dry, uh, ten thirty one exchanged the property into a, a portfolio that um, was what what, what was aligned with my long term investment objectives. Is that close to what you would do, Amanda?
3: Yeah, I mean that's what I would. That's what I would try to do. I think, but I don't know. I mean, if I'm actually the winner, I I might take a shortcut too. I, I might be more like Mindy, where I'm just like, hey, let me take the cash and run, and you know, the velocity of money where I can just use it right away into whatever other deal that you know might generate better returns. Uh, but other but other than that yes Scott, that's a that's kind of uh you know a great outline of the strategy but i do want to um throw in some more bad news and i'm sorry i'm like the bearer of bad news today <laughs> on this dream home episode um so currently we have a limitation it's called the excess business loss limitation um i don't know if uh, you guys are familiar with it or if our listeners are so that's just yet another limitation on how we can use losses um uh, basically, at the heart of it, it says that you can use uh, business losses to offset business income, right? No limit if you're material participation, real estate professional, all that good stuff. Um, but uh, there is a limit when it comes to using those losses to offset non-business income. So non-business income... Uh, so business income would be like realtor commissions, you know, you have a business, That that's all great. Um, non-business income would be things like W-2, um, retirement distributions, and things like award winnings. So those are non-business. So right now, there is another layer of limitation if you're married. Um, I think for this year, it's about 540 or 560. So that's the maximum you can use in terms of like real estate losses to offset those types of income. So $2.7 million, even if we accelerate to $600,000 of a loss, we could probably use about 540 or 560 this year, and then the rest will have to be used in future years.
1: (laughs) Okay. So then I have to just make my money. I'll have to make more money on my Airbnb in that first year to have more income to offset some of that.
3: Yeah. Not the end of the world. Yeah. It's still, yeah, still a great benefit, but I just don't want you to think that you can offset, you know, like $2 million of, of income from taxes.
2: <laughs> this show is sponsored by Airbnb. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host.
0: Real estate investing is great, but for some, the tenant phone calls and clogged toilets aren't all that attractive. So how do you invest in real estate without getting your hands dirty? Invest for truly passive income with Pine Financial Group. Pine's mortgage fund offers an 8% preferred return and an attractive profit split What if I told you that I, Mindy Jensen, the queen of budgeting, the personal finance fanatic, with a tap. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. That's rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney. rocketmoney.com slash bpmoney.
2: You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve steadily.com. can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today.
0: Okay, well, I think that this idea that Scott floated with doing this this and this and this and this and this and this sounds great for Scott who has the mental bandwidth to take it on. And the... Mental capacity to understand what he's doing. I think that's wonderful for Scott. I think it sounds super complicated, and I am in the stage of my life where I am decomplicating things. So I just want anybody who's listening, who's like, "Oh, I don't want to do all that stuff Scott's suggesting," to to say it's okay to take the nine fifty cash prize and pay your taxes off top. Save enough to pay the rest of them when the tax man comes with his handout because he will and then just go and invest it spend it whatever you want to do with those winnings it's valid to choose that as well so scott's idea is awesome and scott can do all of those hoops scott i hope you win and i hope you document all of that hoop jumping so that we can have a really fun series of videos
1: one, one last question though on this how about donating it can I just donate the property? Can I take without, if I don't, if I choose to donate the property to a charity, for example, could I avoid having to pay the million dollars in possession taxes and not have to donate the cash prize, but instead give them, give the charity a two and a half million dollar gift? Yeah,
3: that's an interesting take. I I hadn't thought about that. So, uh, so what you're saying is I'm going to win all this stuff and I don't want to pay the taxes. I'm going to donate, let's say the property to charity, and then I will keep the cash price the 100,000 from Ally Bank and, and keep the Jeep
1: yeah yeah that that sounds like a pretty yeah that, that would be a really good person to, to do something like that
3: yeah I mean yes yeah, so, because you're giving up a, a lot right you're giving up a lot but um, but yes definitely on the on the donation side um, the the deduction you get is the fair market value of the asset that you donate. so if the valuation of this home is 2.5 million dollars, you get a 2.5 million dollar charitable donation deduction. Um, you know, anything in the tax world, there's always limitations on how much of a donation can offset different types of income. So it's not on an unlimited basis, <laughs> like we hope it would be. Um, but, but yes, that definitely is a way to reduce some of the taxable income um, by looking at donations. And I think, um, yeah, I think, Mindy, you're right, there's not like a right or wrong answer here, right? It's just kind of personal preference, what your capacity is in terms of finances and, you know, bandwidth on, on whether you want to jump through the hoops. But even if you're someone who took the cash prize, um, if you take the cash prize, the, the simplicity of it is that there's already cash there, they're withholding it for you. But it doesn't mean that you are going to be on the hook to actually pay taxes next April on the whole 925000 right? We could still use the same strategy. So you walked away with $700,000, it's a down payment on one point five or two million dollars worth of other real estate. You can buy real estate, use the new real estate with depreciation, cost segregation, short term rental loophole, you know, whatever the strategies are, and still create losses so that by next April you're paying very little taxes or, you know, a lot less taxes, right? So you can use the same strategies in terms of tax reduction, regardless of whether you're doing the, you know, cash price or the hard assets. In terms of the award. If you are a real estate professional or willing
1: to do what it takes to meet the standards on the short-term rentals, you can use those depreciation. Yes. That depreciation and losses in real estate to offset your income.
3: Yeah. So that just kind of comes out to what your general strategy is, right? If you're a long-term rental investor, you want to try to be real estate professional. If you're short-term, you go with the short-term rental loophole.
0: Okay. One more question about donations. If I decide to donate and it's 2.5 million to my favorite charity... You said I can't take all of that at once. Does that donation roll over the the like forward against income, or is there a, a limit to that? Yeah. So if you so yeah, let's say you made um, two point five
3: million dollars donations, you can only use a million dollars of it. The remainder that you don't get to use it carries forward, so you could use that next year to offset your taxable income.
1: Wait, 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 wait. So if if I wanted to donate the house, I'm going to miss this. I donate two point five million. I have a tax bill for two point five million. I only get to declare one million against that. I still owe taxes on one point five million dollar gain in that first year.
3: Yes, and it's just the re- the reason for that is because there are limitations to the charitable donation deduction. Uh, so depending on what you're donating, a lot of types for different type of assets, you're limited to maybe thirty percent of your adjusted income is what the deduction is in any given year. Or if you are donating other stuff, it might be limited to 50% of your income. So um, that's why, you know, in the tax world, it's it's not always simple and rosy. Unfortunately, there's all these little pitfalls and roadblocks that they throw in front of you.
1: This is terrible news.
3: (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I'm like the bearer of bad news today.
0: (laughs) No, I think this is really important to be knowledgeable about these choices you're making, HGTV is great at promoting this house and showing you how amazing it is. They aren't maybe so good at at sharing your tax burden and how all of this affects you if you decide to choose the house. So Amanda, I appreciate your time today to share all of these. I don't think it's a wet blanket. I think it's a dose of reality that people need because the The sweepstakes companies don't highlight the realities that, that you face.
3: Yeah, and I think it's more of, you know, um, when you're watching these sweepstakes, right, on TV or, or whatnot. I mean, we're envisioning the winners, their happy family, moving into this forever home. Um, but yeah, I mean, the reality is, you know, the reason people take the cash prize is because of all these other hurdles that they may have to deal with. Or, um, you know, if they really want to maximize the benefit is kind of going through the various routes, like what Scott was talking about turning into a rental, right? In both of those scenarios, we're not moving our families in to live happily ever after in these dream homes.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think the answer to our question, can the average American live in the HGTV dream home? I think the answer is no. All right, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us today to share the realities of what happens when you win a multi-million dollar prize package. We appreciate your time and we'll talk to you soon. Yes, yeah, good luck to you both. I'm leaving.
3: Good luck
1: to you as well. Let us know when you enter.
0: That was Amanda Hahn. That was a fascinating discussion. I, Scott, like I said, I really learned a lot about the tax implications. I really am going to double down and say the more I think about it, the more I just want the cash. The complications are too much for me, uh, but I hope that you win, and I would love to see all those complicated tax jumpings that you're doing. Uh, if you do win, can you please make a video about it?
1: If I win, we'll make a video about it. That's for sure.
0: <laughs> no, I, I think, but I think
1: like, hey, you know, it's two and a half million, two point seven million dollars, um, and the I, I think that the the advantages of playing the tax game on something that large are big enough. You know, that's that's many years of salary um, for 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 you know most of America in tax savings. So I, I think I would play the game or attempt to the best of my ability if I could figure it out.
0: I think that no matter what you want to do, play the game or take the money and run, as long as you have a plan and stick to it, that's the best strategy.
1: Absolutely. By the way, I do, I do want to emphasize that for losses on real estate to offset ordinary income, we discussed this at length, um, you need to be a real estate professional, REPS, real estate professional status, in order to... Uh, to To have that work, and many investors do not qualify for that. Things so it's definitely something to talk to with your CPA if you're considering using depreciation of rental properties to offset a large gain in from other types of income in your portfolio. So that's a, that's that. And and look, CPAs have different stances on that. Some folks are very aggressive and say go for it, and some folks don't on the same situation. So be smart about that one, and know that that uh, you're making a decision there and. There's a subjectivity to it to some degree in some cases.
0: Yes. A good rule of thumb is if you have a full-time job that isn't as a real estate agent, you are probably not going to qualify for the real estate professional status. Of course, every situation is different. If you want to make a case, uh, talk to your CPA because they are going to be the ones who are defending your, uh, your tax return. When it gets audited, if the auditor doesn't like what they see, so uh you have to be the one who is comfortable with your returns. But generally, if you have a full time job, you're not going to qualify.
1: Yeah, but I think I think Mindy, I would I would clean the toilets at this Airbnb for a hundred hours if I needed to in order to make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars reduce my tax burden by two hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> on the property in in a, in a year.
0: Yes, I could clean toilets.
1: That's 100 hours of cleaning toilets. That's $500 hours an hour um, uh, uh, per, 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 from cleaning. So
0: I'll take it. But you know what? I wouldn't have to because I would just take the money and run. Oh, oh, we almost
1: forgot to say what Kaylin, our producer, said she would do with the property if she wanted, and hers is the best answer. She would say, I want the cash prize, but HGTV, you got to let me take possession of the property for a single weekend night and throw a massive kegger with a big, with a bunch of bonfires in that backyard um, before I take that cash prize, and that I think is is really the best answer. Um, tax advantaged, I don't know, but that's the best one.
0: Fun for sure.
1: <laughs> All right, Mindy, now we can get out of here.
0: Now that wraps up this episode of the Bigger Pockets Money Podcast. He is Tredge, and I am Mindy Jensen. Wishing you luck in the HGTV sweepstakes.
1: If you enjoyed today's episode, please give us a five-star review on Spotify or Apple. And if you're looking for even more money content, feel free to visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Pockets
0: Money was created by Mindy Jensen and Scott Trench. Produced by Kaylin Bennett. Editing by Exodus Media. Copywriting by Nate Weintraub. Lastly, a big thank you to the BiggerPockets team for making this show possible.